Good morning, church. Good morning. It's good to be with you. I want to welcome everyone watching online uh, as well as in-house. Today we're going to kick off a new series uh, with regard to our journey inward, our spiritual formation uh, called Soul Detox. And we're going to be looking at Romans 12 over the next three weeks. So I encourage you to read it every day if you're up to it. It's a short chapter. Memorize it. Uh, put the Lord's uh, word uh, in your heart. Before we before we jump into the message, every week we do something a little different with this series. Uh, I want to read over you a spiritual formation prayer uh, out of a book uh, called Gorillas of Grace, written by Ted Lauder. So if you wouldn't mind, uh, bow your head and close your eyes. Put your, if, if you want, it's an invitation. You can accept or reject it. Put your hands on your knees, hands palm up. If you want to lift your hands up to the air, uh, you can do so. Again, it's an invitation. You don't have to do it. Let's pray. O Eternal One, it would be easier for me to pray if I were clear and of a single mind and of a pure heart. If I could be done hiding from myself and from you, even in my prayers. But I am who I am a mixture of motives and excuses, a blur of memories, quivers of hope, not a fear, tangle of confusion, and restless with love for love. I wonder somewhere between gratitude and grievance, wonder and routine, high resolve and undone dreams, generous impulses and unpaid bills. Come, find me, Lord. Be with me exactly as I am. Help me find me, Lord. Help me accept what I am so I can begin to be yours. Make of me something small enough to snuggle, young enough to question, simple enough to giggle, old enough to forget, foolish enough to act for peace. Skeptical, skeptical enough to doubt the sufficiency of anything but you, and attentive enough to listen as you call me out of the tomb of my timidity into the glory of my possibilities and the power of your presence. Amen. Amen. I hope that was encouraging to you. I thought it'd be appropriate to sort of sink into the message today. Uh, soul detox is a response to uh, our addiction to information, being in the know, technology, and social media. It's amazing in my short lifetime of 38 years just how much uh, technology has actually has actually changed and changed the way we interact uh, with people. I found an article online from the Washington Post called. Uh, what tech world did you grow up in? If you want to feel old, <clears throat> go to this website and put in your date of birth. Here, here's what I found. When Ben, that's me, was three in 1985, which just made some of you feel old, that's okay, 8% uh, of households had a personal computer, not mine. Uh, most of the U.S. home entertainment was spent on VHS tapes. And Back to the Future was the hottest movie that year, as it should have been. 100% of U.S. households had no internet. 
I know that's really hard to believe because uh, we're doing church online, but there was a time where when you were bored, your parents said, I don't care, go outside and be bored, do something, scrape up your knee, build something. And usually that meant one of the semen boys would get in trouble for inflicting pain on the other one. Uh, 52% of music sales were on cassette tapes. If you don't know the relationship between a cassette tape and a pencil, we can't be we can't be friends. In 1985, one of my favorite musicians, uh, Bruce Springsteen, the boss, had the hottest record, Born in the USA. And now, as you follow the graph, it will show you how technology has developed. So, for example, when Ben was 12, 60% of U.S. music sales were on CDs, these little Frisbees. Uh, and the hottest record at the time uh, was Elton John's Lion King soundtrack, can You Feel the Love Tonight was probably one of the hottest songs back then. When I was 30, hard to believe, 71% of U.S. home entertainment was spent or spending was on DVDs. When I was 31, 60% of U.S. households had home broadband. Not my family. <laughs> I didn't get any of that stuff until college. When I was 34, 75% of Americans had smartphones. It's amazing how far technology has progressed. I was thinking about this like this week. Unless you see like a, a counselor or a doctor on some sort of rhythm, you actually don't know what's going on involved. You don't know what's going, uh, what's going on in their life until you see them face to face. Like that used to be true for a lot of human interaction when I was a kid. I mean, now, nowadays, you know what's going on in people's lives on social media, and then you're like, nah, I don't really need to call them. I already know what's going on in their life. And I think it short circuits our relationships. Uh, some other staggering statistics, 74% of people between the ages of 10 and 30 years old, their smartphone is the last thing they interact with and see at night and the first thing that they see in the morning when they wake up. Now, arguably, a lot of people use smartphones for their alarm clocks, but it is what it is. And then I found the most epic article in the New York Times. Are you ready for this? No, you're not. It's called The Rise of the Toilet Texter. That's right. We're getting personal. You guys can wake up. This is church, not the DMV, okay? Now, there you go. 74% of smartphone users use their phones while going to the bathroom. We're in a pandemic. Wash your hands. Wash your hands, you nasty people. Here's the deal. Of the 74% of people... 30% of those people would say they would never go the bathroom without their smartphones. Kind of crazy, kind of intimidating, and maybe hits personally for a lot of us. In 1998, Google became a word, and now today, today alone, millions of people will search for stuff on Google. Technology has drastically changed how we live our lives. My wife and I have a running joke. She's smarter than I, so I ask her a lot of questions. And if uh, I am annoying her, which happens on a fairly consistent basis, and I ask her a question, she would say, I don't know, did you Google it, look it up? And I'm like, well, I kind of wanted to you know, pretend we, it was like 1995, and you had to ask somebody uh, an answer to a question. Uh, social media technology has changed everything about the human experience. And it's not, nor will it ever go away. Now, you might be thinking, what does this book have, like, how does this book have anything, this is the Bible, by the way, have, have anything to say about technology? I mean, come on, Ben, like, the general audience in the Bible was, like, they were illiterate. So truth was told through storytelling, 
right? It's one of the reasons why Jesus told so many parables uh, in his public ministry. Well, actually, the Bible has a lot to say, not to the what and the how of things, but to the why of things. And there's a lot to be said in Scripture of how we um, present ourselves, how we ask people to experience us, whether that's online or in person. Now, obviously, the internet wasn't around in the Roman Empire, but there's still some practical content that you and I can step into as we think about what does it look like to have a healthy soul detox where we're not just dominated by the news? I, I, I have, I've given up um, looking through social media for COVID updates. I just can't, I can't handle it anymore. If you have your Bibles or your smartphone, <laughs> uh, open your Bible app to Romans 12. And we always have it on the screen, but I want you to bring your Bibles to church because I want you to have a relationship with this book, which is to say I want you to have a relationship with Jesus. Now, over the next three weeks, we'll be diving into Romans 12. As I said earlier, I'd, I'd love for you to read Romans 12 every day. It's a short-ish chapter. You can even commit it to memory over the next month if that is something that you feel like the Lord is inviting you into. So Romans 12, 1 and 2, this is what Paul says about social media, believe it or not, in 2021, for 2021. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So right out of the gate, Paul invites us to consider what does it look like to be formed? What does it look like specifically to be formed in the image of Christ? Now, if you say, I don't know, that, that's a natural response because the question is sort of abstract, right? It, it, it's sort of like, like the running joke is with, with couples, the longer you're married together, like you're together, you look like one another. And for some of you, that's a good thing. For others of you, that's not a good thing. E even politically, I've known spouses that have been married for a long time and they came into the marriage. One would vote this way, one would vote that way. But over time, because you can be right or you can be married, guys, uh, they tend to vote the same way, right? And it's that process of being formed together over a period of time. Now, here's, I, here's the lie I think we believe about being formed, especially with regard to technology and social media. Here's the lie, the lie we believe, that information leads to transformation. If I just know enough stuff, then I'll be transformed in the heart. My one of my preaching professors at Ozark, Matt Proctor, would say that Pharisees, religious people, are like bad film. They're overexposed to the Bible. They actually, this is possible, they read this too much. They're overexposed to the, uh, they're overexposed to the Bible, but yet underdeveloped in their hearts. And I think that, oh, I think that could be true with a lot of Jesus' followers. We're addicted to information, FOMO, fear of missing out. I have to look at my phone 87 times. Look, I'm throwing myself under the bus. I'm not condemning you. Well, kind of, but I'm condemning myself with you as well. You're welcome, all right? I am addicted to technology. I'm addicted to some, re some really fun games. I drive my wife crazy when we watch TV shows. Watching is very uh, liberal. She watches it. I'm on my phone half of the time. We think just, if I have knowledge, then I'll be transform, but that's not true. 
That's not true. I'll prove it to you. Why in the world is the mental health of Americans so low when we live in the age of technology? If I don't have to talk to you about anything because I can Google it, and literally, uh, it was awesome. I, I, uh, I was uh, fr- friends with an older gentleman at my last church. His name was John. And he's like, man, I love the YouTube. When you say the YouTube, you've already dated yourself, right? I love, I love the YouTube. I was like, why, John? Because I used it to remodel my entire basement. Like, technology is amazing. So if information, if we live in the information age, why, why are the suicide rates climbing? Why are there no empty beds available for teenagers at Boston Children's Hospital right now? Because information does not lead to transformation. We are addicted to this book for merely learning information about it. What, what did Jesus say to one of the religious leaders? Like, you search the scriptures, no, you know, trying to get the secret meaning of life, and Jesus is like, dude... I am the Torah in flesh. I'm right in front of you, and you're missing. You're missing me. Now, don't get me, don't get it twisted. We should read the Bible for sure, but not to be informed primarily, but to be transformed into the image of Christ. And this is how Paul, and you know, when he continues with Romans 12, transformation is the beginning of knowing God's will. Right? It's not like you learn all these facts about God and you get the secret code like back in the you know, 80s in the Nintendo game and it unlocks things that you can advance in the game. How you know God's will <laughs> is more of through a dance, through an art. It's being transformed like a potter begins with his or her hands to mold clay into something that he will later sell for his business. Ephesians 4.15, Paul writes, instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow. This is how you grow a church family. We will grow to become in every aspect the mature body of him who is the head of Christ, uh, who is the head, that is Christ. In other words, if we are uh, individually, Monday through Saturday, making ourselves available to be formed by Christ in his image, and we collectively gather together in corporate worship over time, this church, RCC, will become a very mature church. And guests need a mature, healthy church. Bring your Bibles, guys. I'm not kidding. Bring your Bibles. Spend time in God's word. Be formed by Jesus. Over time, as we do this individually and corporately, we will be a healthier church. We will be a more mature church. We will know the hills we should die on and the things that like, nah, whatever, that's not really worth our time, right? When I was thinking about how to define spiritual formation of the inward journey, it's really difficult sort of to put words to it. It's almost like you go to an exotic place in the world or on a mission trip, you fly home and you, you have to deal with the question, how was it? What was it like? And all you know is your life was changed. You'll do your best to describe it, but you'll never forget what God did in and through you uh, during that trip. I, I, I came across Robert Mulhan's book, The Invitation to Journey. Uh, if you're interested at all in the journey inward on our discipleship pathway, that, this is a pretty good book to start with. This is what he says about spiritual formation. Spiritual formation is the process of being formed in the image of Christ for the sake of others. Now, this is a definition that, I'm, that helped me sort of uh, chop up Romans 12. And so the first part of 
uh, Mullen's def definition of spiritual formation is this idea of what does it mean to be formed? And next week, we're going to talk about in the image of Christ. In week three, we're going to talk about community for the sake of others. So what does it mean to be formed? Well, spiritual formation begins with confrontation. Spiritual formation begins with confrontation. Now, if you're unfamiliar with Romans, Paul basically wrote his theological treatise, essay, uh, from Romans 1 to chapter 11, sort of the big words, the theological, the heady stuff, right? And then Paul, in Romans 12, uses the word therefore. So practical Bible study uh, pro, pro tip is when you hear or read a writer say the word therefore, you need to ask, why is the word therefore there, right? Like, what's it for? And so Paul is saying, in view of God's mercy, in view of well, what is God's mercy, well, God's mercy is the person of Jesus who died on the cross on your behalf for your sin, died the death that you should have died but could not die, qualitative and quantitative enough, and then rose again three days later. In view of what God has done for you, then offer your bodies, right? This is your act of worship. In other words, the gospel needs to confront your sin, the gospel, first and foremost, will confront your sin. Now, here's why I think a lot of people aren't really into the church thing or religion in general. It's because they think it's about behavior modification. God is Dr. Phil. As long as you do good things and not so much bad things, you're going to make it to the big house or, or heaven. The big house is like jail. I don't think, I hope heaven's not like jail. Moving on, right? So it, it, it begins with being confronted with your sin. James, Jesus' brother, would know firsthand what this is about. In James 1, 14 through 15, James writes, each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire. Sometimes it's just fun to flirt with sin, isn't it? Yes is the answer. By their own evil desires and enticed. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, which is full-grown, gives birth to death. It's almost sin is a bad car salesman, right? Like it, it over promises and under delivers, right? Like how many times in our lives have we said, I never thought my life would end this way or end up this way or never thought, man, my actions would lead me to this point in my life. But the gospel in view of God's mercy is an invitation for you to repent of your sin and follow Jesus, right? It's not that like God's up in the sky with a big old baseball bat, Louisville Slugger, waiting to pound you over the head every single time, right? Paul says later in Romans, God does not treat us as what? As our sins deserve, which was what? Life in hell without the possibility of parole, but Jesus served that sentence on our behalf. We will call that word justification. We're justified by the blood of Christ, the gospel wants to confront our sin. You know, it's interesting. In one of the conversations that Jesus had with, I think, religious people, eight times out of ten, it's usually religious people, Jesus looks at them and says, why is your heart stubborn? Why is your heart stubborn? Jesus, you don't think with your head. Your intellect is your brain. Not if you're Jewish. Not if you're Jesus. The heart is the seat of the motions and also the decision of the will. 
You see, the Bible was in tune with uh, mental health more than, uh, sooner than we realized. When we're, when we're out of tune with our mental health, there's, there's a word, it's like spletna or something like that. It talks about the, our, the bowels of our gut, feeling uneasy or, or angry or depressed or, or, or having anxiousness, right? So when, when, when Jesus says, why, why is your heart stubborn? Ultimately, it doesn't matter how, how intelligent you are. Jesus could care less if you have a doctorate in the Trinity. At the end of the day, spiritual formation begins with confrontation, which is an invitation for you to repent and to let go. It's a decision of the heart. Because Jesus isn't done with us after the cross. The gospel isn't like a one and done thing and I'm good, I I go to heaven, whatever, I'll attend church whenever I feel like it or the holidays because I feel guilty or my in-laws invited me. No, that's the beginning of the process. The gospel confronts our sin head on. But the gospel also, in the confrontation, heals and wants to heal our brokenness. In Psalm 34, 18, the writer says, The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Somehow, in the church world, we have separated this. It's very uh, black and white, very um, judgmental. It's not very perceptive. It's like um, heaven, hell, sin, righteousness. But then somehow we compartmentalize and divorce the stuff that's happened in our lives. Like, how can the gospel help me um, overcome my addiction? How can the gospel help me heal after a really lengthy, lengthy and difficult divorce? Like, everything that you're doing, guys, whether you're on your phone or not, everything is forming you. Everything is forming you into something, whether you want to be that person or not. Everything is forming you, even this moment right now. Is forming you. When you wake up tomorrow morning, whatever you decide to do with your day, it will form you and it will shape you. And the gospel wants to heal your brokenness. It's not just about a pious theological idea that, you know, once you get saved, everything's fine. No, the gospel wants to take you on a journey back in your past and begin the healing process. There's a reason why you there's, there's a reason why you have a threshold. Beyond that threshold, you flip out. Right? There's a reason why there's some things in your life that you're just not willing to bend on. There's a reason why if you were honest with yourself, and this is really hard to admit, you're manipulative. Maybe for you in your past, your childhood was very sketchy. Mom and dad were not very trustworthy, so you grew up as an adult that to control the situation, I have to manipulate people that makes me feel like I'm in control, and if I'm in control, I can breathe better. But really what's happening is you're, being, you're destroying yourself. The gospel wants to heal our brokenness, but there has to be a confrontation. There has to be a submission, humbling yourself Humility in the Bible means to place yourself under someone or something. Or submission means to place yourself under someone or something. Back in the Crusades, there was an army of Christians called the Knights of Templar. And it was interesting that when they were baptized, they would hold their sword out of the water. Meaning, Jesus, you can have everything in my life, but you cannot have my sword. I wonder... um, if we, if we had a baptism service after this service, well, I've already been baptized. Hold on. 
Uh, if we had a baptism service, what would be that thing that you would hold out of the water? What's that thing right now? As you hear me talk about confrontation, what is that one thing that you would say, Ben, honestly, this is the one thing I would hold out of the water that I don't really want to give up? I don't, or, man, I don't even want to explore because it's so hurtful. That relationship in my past, the divorce I went through, the stuff going on in my family, I don't, I don't know that I want to give that up. And maybe for you, you are addicted to technology, social media. Maybe you just can't, and I love people like this, because <laughs> I like to point. Maybe you just can't help yourself but to respond sarcastically online. Right? Maybe for you, that's the thing that, like, Jesus, you can have everything else, but I want my dry, wicked, awesome sense of humor. <laughs> oh, why? Well, Jesus, it's because I'm insecure, and that's what I hide behind. What is that thing for you, right? That if you were to be baptized, you would hold it out of the water, and you'd say, Jesus, you can have everything in my life but this one thing. That, right there, to be super practical, that's the beginning of the confrontation that you need to have with Jesus. And that's the beginning of what Scripture talks about, dying to Christ in your spiritual formation, hitting that head on with Jesus. Spiritual formation begins with confrontation, but it continues through daily availability, making yourself available, right? Isn't that like 98% of life is showing up? In Romans 12 too, Paul says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The phrase be transformed literally means time spent with somebody, uh, spending time with somebody over a lengthy period of time. Think about the people that have invested in you the most. That, man, when you look back and think of those names, you are who you are because of their investment in you. Right? Being transformed, knowing how to think well about life with the renewing of your mind has less to do about knowing facts about this book and more about spending time with a certain person. Who do you think that is, church? It's easy, guys. Jesus. Actually, Paul, my favorite discipleship statement, if you're a life group leader, man, I'd encourage you to commit this to memory and this be your thesis for why you lead a group. Galatians 4.19, Paul says, my dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. That's why Paul lives. That's why Paul's planning these churches, right? Not, not so churches can produce a bunch of eggheads that know a lot about the Bible, but they're formed and shaped by the gospel. And again, it's, this is, what I'm about to say is really subjective, but like, you know, you, do not, you just know intuitively those people in your life that, man, that, that person spends time with Jesus. They, they spend time with Jesus. And, and, and if you know that, chances are in your gut, when you've got questions about life or the decision to make, you don't go to the smartest person in the church. You go to the person that is most formed in the image of Christ uh, in your church. So the beginning of formation, man, or the process of formation, daily showing up, is spending time with Jesus. How do I do that? There's a, it's like grace. There's a million ways. Read your Bible. Pray. Practice silence and solitude. Go for a hike. Hopefully it gets warm pretty soon. Spending time with Jesus over a period of time. And look what happens collectively. This is a vision that Paul has for the church in 2 Corinthians 
And we all who with unveiled faces uh, contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed. There's that word metamorphosis again. When an entire church spends time with Jesus over the, ch- uh, over the history of the church, this is what happens. We're being transformed into his image with ever increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the spirit. Now, don't miss the word glory. The word glory means there's a weightiness to life. There's a weightiness to life, which honestly, sometimes people reject the church. People reject Jesus because of the weight that it will hold in their life and the truth of it. And honestly, sometimes there's things that have happened in our past, our current reality that are just too fresh or too deep of a wound to actually even go there and engage with Jesus. Paul is saying, <laughs> you want to have, have a weighty church? You want to have a meaningful church? Spend time with Jesus individually throughout the week and then collectively come together. That's what first-time guests need. That's what a community needs, a mature, healthy, weighty church. Because let me, let me tell you something. There's a lot of stuff going on. I, I, I'm reminded uh, just in the conversations my wife, and ha- my wife and I have had with some of our non-Christian friends. People need a healthy church. And a healthy church is not a building on Sunday morning. It's individuals spending time with Jesus over the course of their life, coming together to worship Jesus and to place themselves under the teaching uh, of God's word. If we do this, then Romans 12, 2 will happen. Then, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. You'll have discernment. You don't have to feel like, well, what, do I, what do I do? You know, one of the questions I get as a pastor and even just generally following Jesus is how do I discern God's will for my life? Well, are you a Christian? Yes. Well, you're halfway there, right? You're, you're halfway there. Are you spending time with Jesus over the course of your life? Yes. Okay, what is your question? Well, I've got two job opportunities, A or B. All right, let's go through questions that, that I ask myself. Is what you, it, what you want to do, is it illegal? Because that's, you know, probably shouldn't do that. Is it harmful? Is it biblical? If it's no, 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 yes, then I, I personally think that God's like, just pick. I'll journey with you on whatever door you want to walk through, whatever decision you want to make. Moland in his book, Journey, uh, Invitation to Journey, says that spiritual formation is the great reversal. It's just throwing us uh, for a 180 from acting to bring about the desired results in our lives to being acted upon by God and responding in ways that allow God to bring about God's purposes. So to lose oneself in this context is to give up the deeper inner informational functional orientation that governs the lifestyle of our culture. Simply put, my friends, the amount of time plus the content that you consume, the relationships that you're in over time will equal to your conforming to the world or your transformation in Christ. It is what it is. The amount of time that you spend with the content online or the relationships that you have or the things that consume your mind, the hurt and the brokenness that you have left to resolve, over time you'll either be conformed by it or you'll be transformed by it. The decision is ours. And lastly and finally, I'd like you to consider that spiritual formation is sustained through healthy rhythms. Confrontation, daily showing up, 
in healthy rhythms. Let me give you a few healthy rhythms that I do. Write these down in your phone if you want, uh, or take a, take a shot of the uh, a photo of the screens. Uh, th- this is just what I'm learning from my experience. You're welcome to use it or not use it. Number one, having a dedicated space to be with God. I'm, I'm, pretty, I'm pretty bougie, all right? My wife makes fun of me a lot, but um, the color of my room matters. The, uh, the vibe of my room matters. The music that I play in my room matters. It all helps me to center and orient myself and get ready to spend time with God. I cannot say this enough, that the space that you meet with God is sacred, right? Consider What space in your home, outside of your home, that you can dedicate to the Lord? That is where I go to be with God. Secondly, practice stillness and silence. This is something that I've been struggling with for a while because I'm not good at listening, I'm not still, and I'm not quiet ever. And yet, this is a confrontation that the Lord is hitting me in my inward journey. Even though God gave me a dominant extroverted, gargarious personality that does not exclude me from being quiet in the presence of the Lord. I can't say, oh, it's not a personality. No, you're a Jesus follower. And for me, practicing stillness and silence has been so beneficial. Conversational prayer, meditating in prayer books, reading scripture and asking God to form you before you actually read it. And here are five, I'm going to close with this. Here are five daily reflection questions that you can ask yourself uh, in your journey inward for your spiritual formation. What happened? What happened today? Uh, what, am I, what am I feeling? Here's a big one. What story am I telling myself? Right? Am I making this up to control something or is this actually really happening? What does the gospel say about what I'm thinking about, what I'm struggling with? And fifthly and finally, what counter-intersectional action is actually needed? What do I need to change? What do I need to do so that I can be formed into the image of Christ? Every week uh, during the Soul Detox, we want to we invite you to go on a Soul Detox challenge. And it's a challenge. It's an invitation. You can do it. It's up to you. And so for this week, here's our challenge. It's a big one. All right? We're going for the, swinging for the fences. For you and your family to spend a literal 24 hours, not online. And you guys can decide what that is. If you want to go, no TV, no social media, no phones, all the, te- all the teenagers in the room and watching online now hate me. It's okay. You can send me your emails, or you don't email. You can text me. I'm not, I won't read it, right? No, spending time with family alone in God's word for 24 hours. I'll let you, I'm not going to be a Pharisee about it. I'll let you decide what that looks like. All right, so to, to engage in your spiritual formation with the Lord. Let me pray. Jesus, thanks so much for an, an invitation to be formed by you. God, it's, it's very true that we live in an information age. I, I, I think it's one of the idols, the graven images in Exodus, that we value information so much that it kind of hinders our obedience to be formed by you. Lord, I pray for our church, too, that we individually and collectively over time can be formed by you so that we can know what your will is and have discernment and live a life that pleases you, which is to say that live a life that walks with Jesus. Thank you for this opportunity to engage in this conversation that's so needed after the last year and a half. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.